Yeah, um, I'm still full of wonder, awestruck wonder. Uh, ever since two weeks ago, when we looked at the doctrine of the biblical doctrine of eternal punishment, um, and I shared with you as we looked at that solemn doctrine, what it drove me to do was worship. It drove me into deep and profound worship. That's the intent of every biblical doctrine, that we would worship this awesome God. And last week, I, you know, <laughs> Psalm 145 maybe my favorite psalm. Um, when I need a psalm for an occasion, I usually go to 145. The unsearchable greatness of God. Amen? David said, I praise you, for you are a God of unsearchable greatness, infinite greatness, greatness boundless greatness. Right? And so as I sought the Lord for this week's message, uh, He just took me to Psalm 97. And so we're still beholding the kindness and severity of God, which again, as I said last week, is people means for us to do. You won't live a superficial life if you are beholding the kindness and severity of God. You will not live a superficial life. You will live a life that matters, a life that ripples eternity. God means for His people to look at Him and behold His greatness. And so, that's my goal uh, again this week. So I pray that we are successful. Physicists and philosophers often ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Um, have you heard this question before? Why is there something rather than nothing? As some of you know, in his book entitled The Grand Design, Stephen Hawking makes an ex extraordinary statement. Stephen Hawking, the, the most famous uh, theoretical physicist in the world, says, because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing. Now, I know there are huge uh, logical and rational problems with that statement, but I'm not going to get into that, but I... I, I will share with you that John Lennox, who's a mathematic pro mathematics professor at Oxford, has taken, has taken Hawking to task on this statement. And I'll just quote uh, John Lennox in passing. I love what he says <laughs> about Hawking's statement here. He says, This just goes to show you that nonsense remains nonsense even when talked by a world-famous scientist. I think Hawking has a bit of a bit of work to do regarding the answer to the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Now, we're Bible believers in this room, I pray. Um, if you're not convinced, I will always do all that I can to convince you that the Bible is the inerrant and infallible Word of God. But as Bible believers, we know why there's something rather than nothing. We get it. We know. Right? We know what the answer to the question is. So, when someone asks, well, why you? Why me? Why bumblebees? Why badgers? Why aardvarks? Why supernova? Why uh, microscop microscopic creatures under the rock in the deepest, blackest part of the ocean? Why? Why the asteroid on the far side of the cosmos? Why? What do we answer? What's the biblical answer? Why anything? Why everything? What's the biblical answer? For the glory of God. Amen? You should, you should know this. This is a fundamental uh, biblical tenet. All that God does in creation is for His glory. And one thing we'll talk about and see 
tonight, it's also for our joy. I uh, bring this up a lot. All that God does is for His glory and for the joy of His people. Um, we'll talk more about that as we get into the text. So we know the answer. With all due respect to Stephen Hawking, it's about something a lot more beautiful and compelling and impressive than simply the natural law of gravity. I love how contemporary American theologian John Piper says this. I love this. If you've read my book, it's, it's, it's in the book. Uh, I love this quote. Um, All of God's creative works are simply the overflow of His infinite exuberance for His own excellence. Amen? And don't you feel it? We talked about it last week. Don't you sense it in the created order? On a beautiful day, don't you sense God's infinite exuberance for Himself? That He's put on display for His creatures to enjoy and love. That's why God does all that He does. That His creatures would worship Him. He is God and nobody else is. There is no God like me, He says. In Isaiah chapter something. 40 to 45, somewhere in there, I think. He says, there's no God like me. There's no God like me. And we get that. We understand that. And we sense it in the created order. We, we sense His infinite exuberance. We sense it. So, if our eyes are open, if our brains are firing... We understand that He's an awesome God. You know, I've shared this with you before. But I still remember one day, uh, not too long ago, I, Karen had bought, bought a watermelon and I just opened it up and I was just worshiping God. Have you ever seen a perfect watermelon? <laughs> Have you ever eaten a perfect watermelon? You know there's a God, right? There must be a God. It happens when I eat a banana too, a good banana. But... <laughs> I go to the produce section of the store and I just worship God. You see the variety, you see the colors, you see all the tastes. Infinite exuberance, beloved. Infinite exuberance. It's all around us. I know that we're so busy with the minutia of life that we don't often consciously think about it. But the miraculous is all around us, beloved. The miraculous is all around us. So the whole created order is infused with infinite exuberance. And God tells us, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, you know it. I, I was talking to my son just two, two nights ago. He had, he had a great in, interchange with, a, with an atheist, right? And the guy says, well, I'm an atheist. And, 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 and Jared said, no, you're not. Because he's heard, he's heard me say this many times. He says, he says, no, you're not. You're not an atheist. There's no such thing as an atheist. You may be a liar, but you're not an atheist. And he took him to, to Romans 1, uh, 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. God says, My infinite exuberance is on display for every human being to see. You are without excuse. The created order is shouting the greatness of Yahweh. Amen? You know what David says in Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Hawking is a brilliant theoretical physicist. 
But he's refusing to see the obvious. He's refusing to hear the obvious. He's refusing to receive the direct message from the created order that God is there and He's awesome. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God and for the joy of the redeemed. Renowned 18th century American theologian Jonathan Edwards, who I've been quoting a lot lately as we talked about heaven quite a bit the last month or so. Um, he says that God's pursuit of His glory, it's synonymous with the pursuit of God's, uh, God's people's happiness. Because the, the reason he's saying that is because the, the happiness of God's people is the glory of God. It is the glory of God. So as God pursues His glory, de facto, He's pursuing my joy. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. If you ever get this in your heart and your mind, you understand, you understand that as God pursues His glory, which He, he does relentlessly, He's pursuing my joy. My joy is His glory. My joy is is the greatness of Yahweh. My joy is the greatness of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that I don't think many think about often. So, I'm still in the afterglow of the last two sermons. Uh, and so I had to yeah, go to, to, to Psalm 97, uh, Romans 11.22, Behold the kindness and severity of God. And I've challenged you, are you in the Word? Are you looking at God in the Word? Are you being changed by looking at God in the Word? God says, behold me. Behold my kindness and my severity. So, we can behold God in the general or natural revelation, that being creation, which I've been talking a lot about the last few minutes, and we can behold Him in His special uh, or supernatural revelation, namely... The Bible, God says, behold my unsearchable greatness. So I'm still in that. You know, we talked about the little Hebrew last week. Psalm 145.3. The little Hebrew is, and His greatness is, uh, and His greatness, there is no searching. You can't search out the greatness of Jehovah. After a billion eternities, we'll still be searching it out. We'll still be discovering more glory uh, to enjoy. I'm still caught up in searching out His greatness. It'll, be, it'll, be, it'll take forever. It'll be an everlasting adventure. So I am still worshiping, and I hope you'll join me. I'm going to begin here. You heard the text read, Psalm 97. Let me read the first three verses again. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Uh, clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Fire goes before Him and burns up His adversaries round about. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. This text reveals that God does indeed reign. God is not only El Shaddai in name, He is El Shaddai in fact. Who knows what El Shaddai means? Anybody? He is the Almighty God. He has no colleague. He has no peer. He is the Almighty God. The supreme, almighty, sovereign, reigning, ruling, all-powerful God. And as I said to you last week, all of the so-called gods 
are pretenders. They are pretenders. Just a couple of verses. Daniel 4.35 God does according to His will in heaven and earth. No one can stay the hand of the Lord. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. He's not a frustrated God. You know, sometimes you'll hear preachers preach God in such a way, He seems like He's frustrated. He can't get His will done. Wrong! That's never the God of the Bible. God gets His will done. He gets it done. He's reigning, beloved. He is reigning. Psalm 103, 19, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His sovereignty rules over all. I read that to you earlier. 1 Timothy 6, 15-16. He is the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords who alone possesses immortality and eternal dominion. What does dominion mean? It just means dominance. He's dominant. He's dominant. In the courses of the galaxies and the cosmos and the, the electron within the single... Is it Adam? Is that the right word? Yeah, okay, I'll use that word. Okay, uh, yeah, sounds, sounds good. He's, he's sovereign, beloved. He's sovereign. We'll talk more about it. 1 Corinthians uh, 29, 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And You exalt Yourself as head over all. Isaiah says, who can turn back the outstretched arms of God? Nobody. Do you see why the, the earth is rejoicing? Do you see? Do you see? Do you see as a Christian why you should be rejoicing? Do you see that in His sovereignty and His uh, omnipotence, you should be rejoicing? He's your Father. Right, I often, I don't know why it, what it is with the moon. When I see a full moon, I always look at it and I think, yeah, my Father did that. I, I mean, obviously my Father's done everything, my Heavenly Father, but I, there's something beautiful and alluring about the moon. Do you not know? You do know that your Father spoke 400 plus billion galaxies into existence. He just does this effortlessly. Beloved, you can bring every problem to Him. He is a capable God. He can handle your problem. He can handle it if you will believe Him and trust Him and give it to Him. So who's rejoicing? Who is glad? Back to the text. That God reigns supremely over the created order, over life and death, over Satan and the demons, and in the lives of men. Who's rejoicing? We are. God's people are. We are rejoicing. Because in His sovereignty, our salvation is assured and our temporal life, we can live huge and be ready to die well. We don't have to live afraid because our Father is the reigning God of heaven and earth. Listen, you never have an excuse to be timid in the world. I know that many of us sometimes are intimidated and we find ourselves timid in the world when it comes to speaking the name of Jesus or speaking the Gospel or speaking the truth against a, an evil and wicked culture. But you don't have to be. That's all on you. <laughs> Your God reigns. You have license. You have liberty. You have freedom to speak the truth. In fact, that's why you're here. That's why He leaves His people on the planet to speak the truth. To speak the truth. So God's sovereignty is our assurance of salvation and it is our assurance that we can live 
with glad, reckless joy, obedience. Just a couple of comments about our salvation from Romans 8. You guys know the, 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 uh, uh, the, the Mount Everest of, of Romans, which is the Mount Everest of, of the Bible. God tells us, oh, guess what? Two members of the Trinity are praying for us. Verse 16 and verse 34 of Romans 8. Guess what else? God is always working in our lives for our good, even in the hard spot, even in the trial. Verse 28. God has saved us. It's a done deal. It's in the past tense in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. We are predestined, called, justified, and glorified. It's done. Yeah, and if God is for us, who is against us? Verse 31. Amen? And no one or no thing can separate us from the love of God. Verse 35 to 39. Our God is sovereign. Let the people of God be glad. I'm not saying we don't have hard times, but beloved, we need to be, our testimony needs to be one of gladness in the world. I am saved by an omnipotent God. No one or nothing can ever change that. Amen? And I am empowered by Him to be His disciple, to be His witness in the world, His radical witness in the world. We don't shrink back. I know some of us do at times. But what I want to encourage you, you don't have to shrink back. If you're looking at God, if you're looking at this God that David's talking about, if you're looking at this God, I'm not sure if this is David or not, but if you're, <laughs> if you're looking at the God that the psalmist is looking at, you won't be afraid. You can be His disciple in the world. You have license to live your life Large with faith, beloved. It's why Noah built the ark. It's why Abraham left home. It's why Joshua took Jericho. It's why David stepped in front of Goliath. It's why Rahab hid the spies. It's why Mary said yes. It's why Peter got out of the boat. They got it. Their God was God. Their God was sovereign. Their God reigns. Even over the wind and the waves, a man can walk on waves if God commands it. If God commands it. Last week I referenced Psalm 99.1. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Why are the, who's trembling and why? Well, the rebel trembles because he fears the reign of God. But the believer trembles with awe. We tremble with awe. We tremble with joy. We tremble with anticipation of what He has set aside for us, what our inheritance is. So, our God reigns. We rejoice in the fact that our eternal life is secure with Him and we are glad that we are free to live the life of a true disciple because He is a trustworthy God. Verse 2a there, the clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Uh, I just want to share um, Psalm 18, 11, and 12. It kind of helps us here. Let me read it to you. God made uh, darkness His hiding place, His canopy around Him. From the brightness before Him passes thick clouds. God obscures Himself from finite fallen mankind. What is, it, it's what, it's what uh, God told Moses. What did He say? He says, you can't see Me in what? You can't see Me. 
and live. You can't see the full glory of God and live. It's impossible. So when God manifests Himself in His Old Testament glory, and even in the New Testament when we see Jesus uh, uh, transfigured, a cloud came down. So God is, is obscuring the fullness of His glory which would consume finite man. It's part of what is being said here in this text. There are aspects of God's glory that are unapproachable for human beings. There are aspects to God's greatness that are mysterious and incomprehensible. As the old Puritan said, a comprehended God is no God at all. And so, God, for the protection of the people He manifests Himself to, He clouds Himself. Verse 2b, righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. As we said last week, what is the definition of righteousness as far as the Bible is concerned? What is righteousness? Well, it's whatever God says. That's righteousness. Whatever God says, whatever God does is right. He's the definition of righteousness. Amen? I heard a guy preaching uh, the other day. He says, you know, I'm a Christian. And we know all the, the, the social and cultural revolution that's going on in the world. But we, we can stand and say, listen, I, my morals, my morals are, are not uh, up for debate. I have a God, I have a Lord, I have a Master. And so, I, you know, I, I don't have any flexibility here. I do what He says. I do what the Master says. It's what it means to be a Christian. He's my Lord. He's my Lord. And I know that's a concept lost, lost on many moderns. It, it wasn't lost on ancient, ancients. They knew what it meant to be under a sovereign Lord. Many of us have only grown up in democracies or something akin to that. He is Lord, beloved. What He says is right. And regarding God's justice, you know, you hear people all the time, well, I just want justice. And you hear that in the world, that's fine. But do you want justice from God? Who wants justice from God? Let me know. Anybody? You don't want justice. We need grace. Amen? Amen. Where are we going to end up if we get justice? We know where we're going to end up. Two, two, uh, two weeks ago we talked about it. We must have grace. And God affords it to those who would repent and believe. So how do we come under the grace of God? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You can't have one and not the other. I know much of uh, modern Christianity, they want the Savior part, but they don't want the Lord part. Well, that doesn't work. You don't get to do that. You don't get to break it up. He's Lord and Savior or He's nothing to you. Um, we must submit to His Lordship. Verse 3, the fire goes before Him. Fire is both a sign of kindness and severity. Let me just give you some examples. The kindness of God. God appeared to Moses in, in the burning bush. If you want these Scripture references, uh, send me an email and I'll send them to you. I'm not going to take the time to give them to you. God led Israel by night with a pillar of fire. God gave His Spirit through tongues of fire. Regarding the severity of God. God used fire to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He used fire to consume Nadab and Abihu who offered strange fire upon the altar. God used fire to destroy the rebels in the Exodus camp. Fire in verse 3 is a picture of both kindness and severity in the Bible. 
He uses fire in His work of grace and mercy. He uses fire in His work of justice and wrath. Parenthetically, as I was thinking about this fire, I couldn't help but think of the guys on the road to Emmaus. What, what did the guys on the road to Emmaus say? Anybody remember? Remember, Jesus was, was opening up the Scriptures to them and explaining the Scriptures to them. And do you remember what they said after Jesus vanished? Do you remember what they said? Any? Pardon me? My heart is burning as the Lord opens up the Scriptures to me. Heartburn is always a good sign that you are in relationship with the living God, beloved. I like what David says. He says, let me get it for you. Psalm 39.3. He says, My heart was hot within me. This is what happens in the born-again life. This is what happens in the born-again life. As we look at God's unsearchable greatness in His Word and as we feel His comfort and His presence and His power in our lives, we, kept, we, we heard it a couple of times in the prayer and praise time. This faithful God who never looks away from me. Ever. His hand is always on me. I like what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 29, uh, 23, 29. He says, is not, God says, is not my word like fire? Don't you love that? Is not my word like fire? Amen. Verses 4 through 6. His lightnings lit up. The world, the earth saw and trembled. The mountains melted like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare His righteousness and all the peoples have seen His glory. Biblical scholars say there, uh, and I agree with them, there are two parallel truths here. One is uh, obviously the, the, uh, the physical lightning. The power of it. I actually know that I was, I was not struck by lightning, but I was knocked down. I was playing this. Yeah, I was in high school. And I was really stupid, exceedingly stupid, playing golf in a thunderstorm. Okay, me and three other guys. And the, the, the lightning did not strike the ground, but it, 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 there was a flash right above us and it knocked us all immediately to the ground. I mean, I, I have some appreciation for the power of physical lightning, but many theologians believe that this is talking about the incarnation of the sun. This is a lightning strike, right? A lightning strike into time and history. Um, as uh, God incarnate is laying in a manger in Bethlehem, it's a lightning bolt of inf infinitely greater power than that of physical lightning. Verse 5. It's another picture of God's unsearchable greatness. Uh, how breathtakingly awesome is King Jesus. Mountains are nothing before Him. Amen? They melt like wax. Mountains are nothing. These fixed, immovable mountains that it takes men years or decades to, to build a tunnel through, they melt like wax before the great God of the Bible. Which made me think. It just made me think. I, I don't, sometimes I'm not sure why my mind works the way it does. But I, I googled the biggest star in the cosmos. And Orazio used to know the biggest star in the cosmos. Well, that star's been demoted. They found a bigger one. I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to share it with you. The newest largest star is called Uy Scuti. It's 9,500 light years away. 
you don't know what a light year is, that's six trillion miles or ten uh, trillion kilometers. But here's what I want you to hear. This is what I want you to hear. This is what God effortlessly speaks into existence. I want you to hear this. UI Scuti is five billion times. The volume of UI Scuti is five billion times that of our own sun. Five billion times. God speaks Scuti into existence. He just and billions of other stars. Of course mountains melt like wax. I was just trying to extend it so we can get some small sense of how awesome is the power of God. And the prophet Habakkuk, as he talks about the created order of God, chapter 3, verse 4, he says, this is the hiding of His power. So if you could quantify all the power in the cosmos, the, the prophet Habakkuk says, this is the hiding of it. Do you get some sense of how great your God is? Will you worship this God? Will you obey this God? Will you follow this God all the way to death and beyond? Will you? Will you make much of this God, Jesus Christ? Will you stop being timid and afraid in the world? Will you be fearless and bold? This is what God calls us to, beloved. It's what He calls us to. It's what disciples do. Our God is sovereign. We rejoice. And it spills out of our life and it comes off our lips, right? He's a great God. There's no way I cannot tell my neighbors about my God, right? It's a beautiful thing. And I just have to read this because I have to read it about three or four times a year. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. The God who effortlessly speaks these stars, these, these galaxies, and these, this cosmos into existence. But now, says the Lord, your Creator who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Wow. Verse 6, The heavens declare His righteousness, and all the peoples have seen His glory. Verse 6 is a reiteration of the fact that God's righteousness and glory are unmistakably evident. They are palpable. Uh, as mentioned earlier, uh, God is clearly seen in the, in the created order. Mankind not only has this external witness to the greatness of God, what else does Romans uh, 1 say? We have what? We have an external witness. And what else does mankind have? An in internal witness, Right? What does uh, Romans 1.19 says? Men suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is what? It's in them. He says it's evident within them for God made it evident to them. It's why a man may be a liar, but he's never an atheist. He's, he, he's, he, there's no such thing as an atheist. There's no such thing. It's a simple denial of the truth that he's suppressing. It's the clear meaning of the Word of God. Verses 7-9, through nine, Let all those be ashamed who serve graven images, who boast themselves of idols. Worship Him, all you little g-gods. Verse 8, Zion heard this and was glad, and the daughters of Judah have rejoiced because of your judgments, O Lord. For you are the Lord most high over all the earth. You are exalted above, far above all gods. Do you understand why I'm in Psalm 97? Yeah, I'm just like 
<laughs> it's been going on for a couple of weeks now. What a great, great God. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 7. He says, All you who serve handcrafted and ragamuffin gods. Idols. Handcrafted and ragamuffin gods. Well, we're sophisticated, Jim. I'm a sophisticated 21st century uh, human being. I don't have any idols. Oh, really? Well, let me ask you this. I know you don't bow down before a graven image, but what is the true definition spiritually of an idol? Do you love, let me just ask you this, do you love anything more than you love Jesus Christ? And if the answer is yes, you have an idol. It's just as simple as that, beloved. You have an idol. You have an idol in your life. And I, I'll call you tonight to put down that idol and give your heart and your mind and your body to the Lord Jesus Christ. To love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength as the Lord Jesus said. Worship, you, uh, worship Him all you little g-gods. Verse 7. I just want to clarify that for you. Uh, this, this Hebrew word here can be translated angels. It's often translated angel. So um, we're talking about angelic beings, both uh, uh, holy angels and fallen angels. Because really, uh, so-called gods in the world, these false gods in the world are really demonic. There's, there's demonic uh, activity behind them. So uh, we're talking about the angels and uh, both holy and fallen here. And they will and do ultimately Worship the Lord Jesus. Verse 8, the people of God are glad and rejoice at God's righteous judgments. When I read that, I thought of 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. Let me just read it to you. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our flesh are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses, which are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So what's our part? What's our part in speaking God's righteousness in the world? God's righteous judgment. We lovingly speak the truth into every religious, philosophical, cultural, or academic and political lie. That's what we do. That's what we do. We lovingly speak truth. We don't judge anybody. It's not our job to judge anybody. We call sin, sin, but we don't judge anybody the judge judges. We don't judge. We call sin, sin. We tell people what the Word of God says. We don't say, well, I believe X, Y, Z. Everybody believes something. We say, the Word of God says, God says. The Bible says. That's how we speak in the world. And we lovingly share the truth with anyone who will listen to us. In the Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Every eye will see Me. Blessed is he who heeds my words, for my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Yes, I am coming quickly. So beloved, you share the truth. That's why we're still here. To go share the truth. And of course, verse 9, the psalmist breaks out into doxology. He simply begins to worship the Lord. It's what happens when you are beholding the unsearchable kindness and unsearchable severity 
of God Almighty. I always love Psalm 24. I've preached it before. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. I love Psalm 24 because in about eight verses, maybe seven, I don't remember now, but uh, the psalmist, it's David, he says, he worships Jesus Christ as Creator, Redeemer, and King. It's beautiful. Psalm 24 is just beautiful. Verses 10 through 11 of Psalm 97. Hate evil, you who love the Lord, who preserve, who preserves the souls of His godly ones. He delivers them from the hand of the wicked. Light is sown like seed from the righteous and gladness from the upright in heart. We do hate evil, don't we? Why do we hate evil? Because we're adopted sons and daughters of the God of holiness and righteousness. When we're born again, we begin to hate the ways of the world. We have to unlearn almost everything. I don't know how it was for you. I was converted as as an adult. I had to unlearn almost everything. All of my presuppositions were wrong. Almost every one of my presuppositions were wrong as an unbeliever. Juxtaposed to being a born-again lover of Jesus. We find ourselves hating evil and wickedness because it runs contrary to the Lord and the Word of God. Jesus said, this is what you do. I know you know this. If you're a Christian tonight, Jesus says to you, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's in the most famous sermon ever preached. That's in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. So the balance of verse 10 and verse 11 take us back to verse 1 in one sense. And I just want to walk you through it real quick. As the psalmist proclaims God's sovereignty and the joy of God's people, I want you to see what the text says uh, about what the Lord has done for us. Look there in verse 10. There it says, He preserves our souls. This is our eternal assurance. If we are in Christ, we don't have to worry about what some false denominations teach that you can lose it. You can't lose it. God did it. You can't lose it. If you have it, you can't lose it. If you've been taught that, and you have a problem with that, I'll be happy to walk you through it. Biblically, you can't lose it. That's a superficial understanding of what God has said about the salvation of His people. God has done it. We are saved. It is everlasting. He did it. It cannot be undone. Romans chapter 8. Look what else it says there. Verse 11, He delivers us often from temporal wickedness, and always from spiritual wickedness. We understand this. We're, we're mature Christians. We get it. Sometimes Christians suffer greatly because of the wickedness in the world. Sometimes they're martyred. But that doesn't mean God is faithless. It simply means God is doing a thing in the suffering and in the martyrdom. But He is faithful to deliver us ultimately. Right? made me think of Luke chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus said to His disciples, He said, he said Some of you will be put to death. Some of you will be hated on My account, but not a hair on your head shall perish. Amen? He's talking about ultimate reality. He's talking about spiritual reality. Eternal reality. It made me think of, of Psalm 23, 6. Um, 
David says, Surely goodness and loving kindness chase after me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It doesn't matter if we're Stephen or we're Daniel. Daniel was delivered. Stephen was stoned. God was with both of them. And God did a mighty thing through them. Look at... uh, Look here in verse 11. God enlightens us. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8.12 And He enlivens us with joy and gladness. The hallmark of true conversion. We were blind, but now we see. Amen? My daughter's an audiologist in the States, and she's the one that turns on uh, the, the deaf children once they get a, uh, a cochlear implant. And she gets to turn them on. And she works with them and she gets all the the various tones and things right. But she gets to turn them on. And they hear for the first time. They hear their mother's voice for the first time. It's an amazing thing to watch. Have you seen this on YouTube and Facebook? It's an amazing thing. Hey, we, 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 we were deaf. We were blind. We were dead. But now we live. Right? Francis Chan is right. Something's wrong if your life looks like the rest of the world. Something's wrong if your life looks like unbeliever, the unbeliever's life. Something's wrong! They're dead! They're, they're deaf! They're blind! We're alive! We have been quickened by the power of God. Something's wrong, beloved, if your life looks like an unbeliever. Something is wrong because we are radically different. We are radically different. So, why is there something rather than nothing? Stephen Hawking has a little bit more work to do, if I may suggest. The biblical answer is for the glory of God and for the joy of His people. God not only is revealing Himself to all the cosmos, He is communicating Himself to His people. God is revealing His glory to His people. In a unique way. It's an amazing, amazing thing. Why anything? Why everything? For the glory of God and the joy of the redeemed. Verse 12, Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to His holy name. Beloved, I hope you see the, the truth here. That because our God reigns, you have, you have license. You have assurance. You're on your way. You're on your way to heaven. If you're a Christian tonight, you're on your way to heaven. That, nothing can change that. Nothing can change that. Nothing or no one can change that. Your God reigns. He's sovereign in salvation and He's sovereign in the circumstances of your life. So you're free to walk out that door and be a radical disciple. You don't have any excuse. That's all I'm saying to you. You have all the freedom, liberty, and license that you could possibly have. You have an omnipotent God at your elbow. Paul says, I can do what? I can do everything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's what the psalmist is saying, beloved. It's what the psalmist is saying. Let's pray together. Lord God, forgive 
us when we have small thoughts of You. Forgive us when we're not truly beholding Your kindness and Your severity in the Word. Forgive us when we, when we take all of this breathtaking doctrine for granted. Forgive us when we're intimidated in the world and we're afraid to speak Your name or Your truth. Forgive us, Lord, that we have not delighted in the fact that You reign. Forgive us, Father, that we have not bowed low and worshipped before Your unsearchable greatness. Lord God, help us to be Your people. Help us to see Your glory. Lord, we want to be free. We want to, we, we want to meditate deeply on the fact that you're, you're the reigning sovereign King of heaven and earth. And what the implications are of that are for us as we get up on Monday morning? What does it look like at the job? What does it look like at home raising the kids? What does it look like at the university? What does it look like at the aperitivo? What does it look like on the beach? What does it look like when I'm surfing the internet? Lord God, we want to be real and practical Christians. We want to be filled with wonder, awestruck wonder. So Lord, help us to build those disciplines of Bible study and prayer into, into our daily lives that we would behold Your greatness and we would be changed by it. Thank You for this great message, Lord. What a great and awesome God You are. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. It's in His mighty name that we pray. Amen.